Good day to you all, and welcome back to uh, another weekly episode of the Dirty Talk podcast. This is T.C. Rollins. And this is Rain DeGray. And for those of you who are new around here, this is how it works. This is an even-numbered episode, so this is going out live to the general public at large. Hello, John Q. Public. Excellent to see you. Wait, no, I don't. we're not seeing you. Excellent to hear you, meet you. Hi, thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening. All the odd-numbered episodes go exclusively to our patron supporters. We love you. And you're probably listening listen to this right now, too. We love you more than John Q. Public because you put some monies in our pockets to keep this going. If you, too, want to be a Patreon supporter and support the Dirty Talk podcast, just go to patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. We appreciate it. You won't regret it. It's good stuff. I'm not biased. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> in your completely unbiased opinion. Correct. Either way, support us or don't. We're here to have fun and entertain you. There's a tradition that's coming up later on this week. Uh, something involving pumpkin pies and dead turkeys? Yes, and the pumpkin pie will be coming up in a little bit. Hmm. But it's November, and it's the beginning of the holiday season. And yes. during the holiday seasons, there's... I think I think this week I want to talk about traditions. Okay, bear, go on. Bear with me with talking about some traditions. The I'm first, listening. the first tradition I want to talk about is a tradition that has been happening every November for a little while now. Every November is this something to do with sports? No, or, no, wait. Nothing uh, to do uh, with sports. Black, Black Friday. Well, Black Friday happens at the end of November, and that is definitely a tradition for people getting up way too early and mobbing stores, getting in fights, stabbing each other, uh, getting run over in riots, just trying to savor that deal. What what else is more American than Black Friday? Uh, guess how many Black Fridays I have attended? Zero. I guess I'm not American then. Gosh. I've never done a Black Friday. I don't see the point. Nor have I. I know some people... They need the Black Friday deals because they don't have a lot of money, and it's Uh, one of the only ways they can save enough money to be able to afford the presents. So there's some people that are of lesser means, and this is just how they go about getting their presents because they need that extra savings. Although I've heard that this year, Black Friday won't have as many deals just because of supply chains and everything like that. Yeah. No, this is another... November tradition. I can give you a hint if you would like, and it's not it's not no nut November, if that's what you were going to. Uh, oh, so if it's not no nut, then it is the grand tradition of pumpkin pie fucking. No, no, it's not the grand tradition of pumpkin. What tradition is that? I've never it's heard cr- of it. Creamy, smooth, <laughs> yielding, receptive, silky. Gather round, family. It's time for the yearly pumpkin pie fuck. I don't no, know. What, what household were you living in? Where they, did they did they do this? No. Rain? No, I, they did, did not. Did your family get together and fuck a pumpkin pie every year? They did not. There was My family was very into celibacy and religion and chanting and no pumpkin pie because it had sugar. Mm-hmm. No sugar and no sex in my family was the, was our traditions. The tradition I am talking about here is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a hint for you. Okay. Every November, a number of men do something to draw attention to men's health issues. 
And it's nothing to do with no nut November. It has Every, nothing to do with no attention. nut November or fucking pumpkin pies. So they all stick a turkey drumstick up their butt for prostate stimulation. Uh, no. They grow mustaches, Rain. Oh, 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 you're right, right, it's true. I've heard about the mustache thing. It's, yes, it's called true. Movember. Yeah, yeah, You are true. supposed to grow a mustache. I've never participated. I have never grown out my mustache during the month of November, but it is to raise awareness of men's health issues, such as prostate cancer, testicular cancer, uh, male suicides, just any number of things. The reason why they do that is traditionally, since we're talking about traditions, men are very resistant to going to the doctor, especially if they start feeling some sort of symptoms. They're like, ah, it'll go away. I'll rub some dirt on it. I'll walk it off. I'm fine. They do. They do do that. Yes. Since 2003, this has been observed. The Movember, you grow a mustache. You also can donate to the Movember Foundation to raise money and awareness for prostate cancer and such. And just tell men it's okay to go to the doctor and get it checked out before your cancer gets really, really bad. Mm. In honor of Movember, Australian menswear brand Politics teamed up with a visual artist named Pamela Clemen Passy, who her herself lost her husband to prostate and colorectal cancer back in 2016. In order to raise more awareness of Movember, they produced what? A clothing line of a t-shirt that features a mustache on top of a prostate gland no they have made i'm just guessing i'm guessing yeah, yeah, good guess good guess no they have made the world's very first suit made entirely out of mustache hair um okay that'll help with the prostate cancer your mustache hair suit. Where did they get the mustache they hair? They sourced did... it. Do you want to it see? Hold on. Itchy. I'm going to show it you a picture. Itchy. It gonna... sounds very itchy and uncomfortable. Did they clean the mustache? How do you weave it? Is it a fabric? It, it sounds very uncomfortable. It's it's kind of like an old school hair shirt that they uh, used to wear to, to flagellate themselves, right? Here is a picture of the suit. It's fuzzy looking. It is fuzzy. It's made entirely of mustache hair. I will mm. share a link to this suit on the Dirty Talk podcast website if you want to see the suit. There's also a video of the two people discussing how the suit was made. It will answer all your questions. I'll answer some of them now. People heard about what she was doing. She would receive random packets of people's mustache hair in the mail. As she okay. started creating this this fabric that they made the suit out of, I think she used muslin and then started weaving the mustache hair into that fabric to make large sheets of mustache hair fabric. There was also salons all around Australia that started collecting the hair for her. And then she would receive large bushels of mustache hair from these salons and slowly crafted the <laughs> material from which this suit would be made. Oh. And the final product is this glorious suit made out of 100% pure, organically fair-sourced harvest mustache hair. 
Oh, I, I do see that the suit is lined, so mm. you you don't actually have the mustache fabric directly on you. No. Probably a good idea. It It's, I hope it raises awareness. It seems uh, uncomfortable to wear. It does seem uncomfortable to wear. But, uh, you know, no, nobody should have to be ashamed or afraid or fearful of going to the doctor. Your dick's not going to fall off if you go to the doctor. Your muscles aren't going to shrink. Your mustache is not going to get smaller. Unless you shave it off and donate it to the mustache hair suit. You know what? They could, if you refuse to go to the doctor, force you to wear the mustache hair suit. Uh, that oh. could be your alternative. Like, oh, you don't want to go to the doctor and get this checked out because obviously you're having health issues. You've been peeing blood for the last month. Are you sure you don't um, want to get it checked out? It's either that or you put on the mustache suit. I did know someone that peed blood and ignored it for a year and they ended up dying. They told me for a solid year, they're like, oh, I need to take better vitamins. You're <laughs> pissing blood. It's not vitamins. It's not a, like, get that checked up. No, I'm manly. It'll be fine. I'll rub some dirt in my bladder. It'll be okay. No, no. Speaking of traditions november traditions now you're going to talk about the pie fucking no there's no there might be pie fucking actually there might be. actually you there might know. be there might be right. pies okay. and fucking might okay become relevant later on i was going to tell you about our traditional thanksgiving day at my house and there is no pie fucking do you want to hear about our thanksgiving traditions okay i hope pies get involved in some way i'm listening what's the tradition well we start off the day in the traditional way of dressing like homeless beggars and going door to door begging people for food. Mm, I was unaware that was a tradition. Go it on. Is a tradition. It actually was one of the very first Thanksgiving traditions. It was called Ragamuffin Day. It started with Irish immigrants in New York City. This was shortly after President Lincoln established Thanksgiving as a, an official national holiday in 1863. The tradition was kids would dress as homeless people and go around begging people for food. They would knock on people's door because as people were getting ready for their Thanksgiving feast, they would just come and they'd ask for different stuff and they'd get fruit or baked goods or something like that. It became so popular that it was a New York tradition for years, and it grew and grew and grew until they would have ragamuffin parades going around what? New York City of all these kids dressed in their best hobo outfits. <sighs> Some of the kids even borrowed their mom's dresses. Some of the young boys would put on their mom's dresses and their heels and rouge up their cheeks and wander around in drag on ragamuffin day. This went on until the 1930s. It became hugely popular. Like I said, there were massive Ragamuffin Day parades all over New York City. People would start selling pre-made costumes because before, just like with Halloween, the, every costume was homemade and people would right. try to outdo each other's last year costume. and like, oh, no, this is my best hobo costume. Look at me. People started selling costumes for people to wear on Ragamuffin Day on Thanksgiving in the 1930s, the New York Times started to rally against Ragamuffin Day, partly because the well-to-do of the city were getting tired of these young, poor children oh. showing up at their houses. Because where are you going to go to get the best stuff? Yeah, you would go to the wealthy. Yeah, you go to the rich people's neighborhoods. So they started getting tired of 
these kids showing up and begging for food every year on Thanksgiving. So the New York Times started a campaign against Ragamuffin Day with headlines like, the little children of the metropolis will be allowed to run riot Thanksgiving Day. Because sometimes these Ragamuffin Day parades would turn into riots because (sighs) there were people that would show up and every time you have a large gathering, there's going to be people who would cause mischief. So they would light bonfires and there would be fights and all sorts of stuff. So people were worried that, you know, all these kids were out on Thanksgiving Day begging for food that's going to turn into this mass melee in the city. So through the 1930s, they started rallying against the Ragamuffin Day. What finally killed it was the Great Depression. Wouldn't that be when people wanted food more than ever? Yeah, but they felt like it was a little uncouth when there were actually so many homeless people wandering the country that needed food. to dress up as hobos and dress up as homeless people. Yeah, it is a little uncouth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So it finally died out, but it was so much fun and people enjoyed going around dressed in costumes and asking people for food. It is theorized that this is one of the ways Halloween in this country started in the 1940s is after Ragamuffin Day was done away with, people are still like, hey, we love this. I want the costumes. I want the wandering. I want to beg people for candy. The begging, yeah. And so in the 1940s, all the Ragamuffin Day basically got moved to Halloween and Ragamuffin Day became the tradition of trick-or-treating. Wow. So I did not know that. Traditionally, on Thanksgiving, if you want to celebrate a traditional American Thanksgiving, get dressed up as your favorite homeless person and go around to your neighbor's house and beg them for food. That's I what, did not. That's what we do in my household. My <laughs> my daughter is extremely excited to get dressed up in her worst outfit and go and uh, beg for food and money. Right. Um, do you want to be taking food from other people's kitchens in the middle of a pandemic? Possibly not. Possibly not. You might want to tell your daughter to shelf that until the pandemic's a little bit more over. No. But other than that, you know, okay, grand noble tradition steeped in history. So after we go around uh, begging people for food and money, we come back to the house. We all get together as a family and uh, we sing the most famous Thanksgiving Day song written by a proponent of slavery and uh, a really all-around kind of shitty human being. And uh, we just enjoy singing this song. And it's a kind of a racy song for its time. I think I, I think you know what song I'm talking about. The racy song written by the slave-owning shitty human being. Well, I don't think he was a slave owner, but he was just a proponent of slavery, even though everyone oh. else in his family were abolitionists and they were all uh, ministers. But he decided, no, I'm I'm pro-slavery. I'm going to actually go and join the Confederacy. Um, but I, it's the most famous Thanksgiving song ever. I would I say. I didn't know there were any Thanksgiving songs. Oh yeah, no, no, this is this is a super super famous Thanksgiving song. That sounds like a Christmas song. Dashing through the snow. Okay, yeah, I thought it was sleigh, yeah. Over the How's hills we thing? go. It's right. a Thanksgiving Day song. It was actually it's it's called One Horse Open Sleigh. People call yeah. it Jingle Bells now. Yeah, but they do. It was originally written as a Thanksgiving Day song. I totally thought of it as a Christmas song. And most so I people forgive do myself. Now. Okay. The man who wrote the song 
is named James Lord Pierpont. He was the uncle of J.P. Morgan, who I am sure you have heard of. I have. Yes, one of the richest men ever, and he was also a miserly Wall Street asshole in his own rights. Yes, he was. His uncle, James Lord Pierpont, he was originally born in Boston. At 27, he left his family to go join the California Gold Rush, so he left his wife and children back on the East Coast and was like, screw you guys, I'm just going to go out to California to the Gold Rush. He failed there, making it as a photographer because he thought people would want to be photographed. It didn't work out, so he went back and joined the Confederacy during the Civil War, even though his father and brother both fought for the Union, but he decided that slavery was good. He also wrote, along with writing this famous Thanksgiving Day song, he wrote a number of other songs that were performed at minstrel shows for people to perform in blackface. Also, a lot of pro-Confederacy songs like Strike for the South and We Will Conquer or Die. Most people don't sing those, though. I mean, they're not as traditional Thanksgiving Day songs as One Horse Open Sleigh. No. But the second verse of One Horse Open Sleigh is a little bit more racy. People often don't sing it, but for its day, it was considered to be a youth rebellion song. Jingle Bells is a youth rebellion song. How so? He wrote it because back in Medford, Massachusetts, where he grew up, kids used to get together when it would snow and they would race sleighs to see whose sleigh was the fastest. So instead of like in the 1950s and 60s where teens would get together and they'd race their souped up hot rods, they would get together and see who had the fastest horse and the fastest sleigh. And it was, they would get girls and they would go out and it was this, this like crazy time. The second verse of One Horse Open Sleigh, which people don't sing very often is, now the ground is white, go it while you're young, take the girls tonight, sing this sleighing song, Get a bobtailed bay, 240 for his speed, hitch him up to an open sleigh, and you will take the lead. It's like basically a teenage rebellion sleigh racing song of the 1800s. Get those hot chicks based on your souped up sleigh, right? Yeah, it's basically get the girls, we're going out drinking, we're going to get on our souped up sleigh. And it's kind of like a Beach Boys song of its time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go out and have a wild time with some girls tonight and race our sleighs, damn it. Wow. Yeah. It's a great Thanksgiving song written by a complete racist asshole. (laughs) Okay. I've learned so many new things tonight. Yeah. So after we race our sleighs and sing our songs, then it's a pie. And, And you know what? Pumpkin pie really turns me on. I know that the smell of pumpkin is supposed to be an aphrodisiac. They've done studies. Yes, and and that's what I was going to talk about. Oh. They have found that the smell of pumpkin pie really turns men on. Do you know how hard it is to find pumpkin pie perfume? I've looked. Actually, this one guy makes it. So uh, this doctor who works for the Chicago-based Smell and Taste Treatment and Research Foundation named Alan Hirsch started doing these experiments back in 1994. He wanted to study how different odors and aromas turned men on. He measured penile blood flow to determine how much something would turn them on. He decided that he was going to give guys some regular perfume scents to smell 
to see how they how much it would turn them on. But he used cinnamon buns, the smell of cinnamon buns, as kind of a control because he didn't think that that would turn anybody on. That would be kind of like a neutral scent. But what he found is that the smell of the cinnamon buns turned guys on more than any of the top perfumes of the day. So he went on to test a lot of other smells. He found that based on the penile blood flow, the mixture of pumpkin pie and lavender increased men's arousal by 40%. Wow. Whereas women's perfume only increased it by about 3%. Wow. Yeah. Coming in second, the smell of black licorice and donuts increased their arousal by 32%. A couple years later, he did the same thing with women. He tested them on odors including charcoal barbecue smoke, cucumber, which might be an aphrodisiac for you. I'm excited about the cucumbers. Cherry lemon, banana nut bread. Pumpkin pie, that. lavender, yes. good and plenty licorice candy. So none of the smells turned the men off, but he did find some smells that turned the women off. Can you guess what smells turned the women off? Out of the list that you just gave me. Yes. The mesquite barbecue, maybe? That came in second. Yes. The uh, charcoal barbecue smoke decreased mm. women's arousal an average of 14%. <sighs> So women don't get turned on at barbecues. Now you know. They also found that men's colognes decreased women's arousal an average of 1%. So your cologne is doing nothing for her, sir. In fact, it is doing negative work. Yes. Uh, What decreased her arousal the most was cherry, which decreased uh, the arousal by 18%. Huh. Do you know what aroused women the most? Um, The licorice? Yes. Scent combination of licorice and cucumber, which Mm. increased their arousal by 13%, as did the scent of baby powder. Oh, baby powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So baby powder increased their libido as well. He came out with his own line of colognes called SA for men and SA for women. The SA stands for sexual arousal. So the one for men, which is designed to attract women, includes a mixture of citrus, baby powder, and good and plenty. So if you want to turn on the women, get some licorice and some cucumber and douse yourself in the baby powder. The one for women, which turns the men on, has a mixture of cucumber, lavender, and pumpkin pie. So... Since the pumpkin pie does get me randy because the smell of pumpkin pie increases my arousal by 40%, there may be some traditional (laughs) Thanksgiving pie fucking this year. (laughs) I'm thinking about the study. So they're measuring it by the the penile blood flow, which Mm. means scientifically, we've talked about these scientists before. You got a bunch of people in lab coats with clipboards and they're putting penis cuffs around Mr. Happy, and then they're measuring it, and then they're waving pumpkin pie and cucumber slices under you and seeing how much you twitch. Yep. Like, that just has to be an interesting experiment to begin with when you're just setting it up. Where do you find the volunteers? Yeah, you can strap a cuff (laughs) onto my dick and then wave pumpkin pie under my nose and we can see what happens. Like, that science. I'll sign up for that. You want me to smell things and you're going to strap a thing on my dick? All right. (laughs) For science, I'm there. Anyways, it's very noble. There you have of it. You. That is the traditional Thanksgiving at my house. 
You are all welcome to join in in any way you want in your own traditional ways. If you want to get dressed up like a hobo or sing racist songs that were actually really kind of teenage sleigh sleigh racing anthems. Or, you know, if you want to uh, get turned on by the smell of pumpkin pie and possibly uh, get a little amorous with the dessert. Ooh. I have a, a grand tradition, too, that I would like to talk about. What is your grand tradition? I want to talk. I bet it involves fucking. <laughs> You're not wrong. I want to talk about a dildo that was found hidden in the seat of a Louis XV armchair found in a convent outside of Paris. Ooh, go on. Okay. Yeah. Nun dildo. It dates back to the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're probably thinking, like, when did we really have dildos? We actually have had dildos of all sorts of, of various styles and makes and models throughout all of human history. Mm -hmm. Starting with the stone dildos? In the 1534 Ragionamenti, Pedro describes a bounty of glass dildos delivered in a basket as glass fruits made near Venice to look like a prick. Then he uncovered his basket and set it on the table. At once, a roar of laughter arose that sounded like thunder. No sooner were those fruits of paradise seen than the hands of both sexes, already engaged with one another's thighs, tits, flutes, and bags, lunged for them with the dexterity of pickpockets. They were glass fruits made near Venice to look like a prick. So this was a Venetian orgy and some guy brought a big basket full of glass dildos. Yes. All right. Because in 1534, all we had glass blowing, which was mm. really big in Italy. Of course, you know, what can you, the second it's humans, we're going to make it sexual. Yeah. So we have had glass dildos, stone dildos, Leather dildos. We covered on a previous episode that one dildo that was very ornate and expensive, made of leather, mm. that was found at a fencing school. Found and the reason the shitter. Someone was obviously there over the hole using said dildo, and then their hands got slick or messy, or they lost their grip in the moment of abandon. Mm -hmm. And you know, there was some wealthy young son who was being sent to fencing school who was like, well, this will be fine as long as I can bugger myself in the latrines with my special leather dildo. Oh, it's gone. I could imagine you'd want to use an ample amount of lube on your leather dildo. So uh, late at night in the outhouse with a yeah. slippery leather dildo, it's not a surprise that it would going to yeah. fall into the shitter. And preserved in the muck for us to then find centuries past. This specific dildo that I want to talk about tonight is an ivory dildo. Okay. All right. Okay. And uh, I will show you a picture. You can actually see the head has some elaborate working on the tip mm -hmm. there. So I, will, I will share this picture on, or a link to the picture on the website. What makes this specific dildo so unique is it's an ejaculating dildo. Okay. So it comes for you. <laughs> it has a plunger aspect to it where you can then plunge some sort of liquid into the dildo and depress it down at the moment of abandon. 
and it would then ejaculate whatever liquid you put inside the dildo into you. What makes this even more complex is this does not appear to be a one-person dildo. Uh Now, I know that you're thinking, okay, well, you've got a dildo, you've got it inside you, you can pull back the plunger, you can make this work. Yeah. I blocked out this scene before (laughs) I I went- I could see you in your bedroom be like, how would I use this every ejaculating dildo? I wanted to practice the mechanics of it, and ivory itself is a, is a fairly slick substance. It's hard to kind of get a grip on it. And in order for this plunger system to work, you would have to preload the dildo, mm-hmm. have the plunger deployed all the way back so that it's full, yeah. then be using it. And in a moment of ecstasy, when you're seeing God, because you're in a convent, of course, I would imagine uh, you're seeing God. Of course, you're imagining you're fucking Jesus, or Jesus is fucking you. And you're holding your hand on the one dildo, then you have to, without losing the grip or having the liquid fall or, or the back of the plunger to fall off, you got to reach past the base of the dildo and then all the way to the thing and then have the dexterity to then plunge it down inside you. It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. And it seems much more likely that this was an assisted act. Mm-hmm. So you're recruiting someone else in the convent to help you with this ejaculating dildo. Doing further research, we tend to think of nuns as pious people, but for a lot of human history, women were being sent to convents because people didn't know what to do with them. They were extra children. They were unwanted. They couldn't find a husband. Yeah. And there was a grand tradition of of somewhat wealthy noble women where if they couldn't be al- aligned in a politically advantageous marriage or there wasn't property to exchange, be like, well, sucks to be you. You're surplus. We're packing you off to a convent. Even if you weren't particularly pious and you didn't want to go to a convent, didn't matter. Mm. So some poor noblewoman, she obviously had to have some money because this is a very expensive custom-made job. Oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not like you could pop down to ye local alehouse and be like, while you're at it, can you get me one of those ivory ejaculating dildos I've heard so much about? You'd have to commission an artisan because right. everything was handmade back then. Right. So you'd have to even find somebody who'd be willing to, to handcraft yeah. you the finest of squirting ivory dildos. Correct. Not an easy thing to come by. Mm. Probably pretty darn valuable. Probably in the back pages of the old <laughs> Gazette. <laughs> Not only is this a, a quite quite likely, most likely, a, a two-person job. So then you're recruiting someone else in the convent. Hey, uh, what are you doing after prayers tonight? I could use an extra hand if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Now, why ejaculating? Well, you, couldn't you just have an, an average fancy ivory dildo? What's yeah. with the plunger and the and the added That you could use by liquid? yourself and you wouldn't have to recruit yes. your friends. Yes. Well, okay. I'm so glad you asked. At this point, in human history, we did know that ejaculation was what caused people to become pregnant. Mm-hmm. We were aware of that. So ejaculation was the ultimate taboo. These days, if someone ejaculates in you, okay, 
you can get uh, STI panels, you can get take plan B, you're going to be fine. Mm. Back then, we you were your options were to throw yourself vigorously down the stairs or take some random herbs and hope that your reputation, your safety, or you know, get sent to a convent or get sent to a convent and have the baby there in secret and then maybe give it up for adoption. Right. So being ejaculated in was the ultimate taboo. It was the most dangerous, risky thing someone could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And as a result, the the theory is that there became a fetish where you could get the ultimate taboo, the most dangerous act, without actually putting yourself at risk of pregnancy. Hmm. Hence, these very elaborate dildos where you could get that that most forbidden it wasn't just that the banging was forbidden. It was having someone ejaculate in you, which could ruin your entire life, ruin your reputation, disgrace your family. So you couldn't get that forbidden thing. So you're saying that this nun had such a cum fetish yes. that she found some artisan yes. to fashion this squirting dildo for her. Yes. And then she had to convince one of her fellow nuns Yes. To meet with her after hours, after after prayers, and be like, mm-hmm. hey, fuck me with this thing, and then squirt it inside me because I need this to get off. This is how much of a cum fetish she had. This That's is what your, I'm this is what you're positing. This, this is, is your theory. This is this is my theory. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is what I'm saying. And in fact, we do have references to other ejaculating dildos. So this nun is not the only nun with an ejaculation fetish. In the burlesque poem Dildos from 1706, attributed to Samuel Butler, which was inspired by the great dildo seizure. Have you heard of the great legendary dildo seizure of 1672? I assume it's not people just seizing dildos and using them upon themselves. That people are losing their dildos in the great seizure of dildos. A shipment of French dildos was destroyed. And in the dildos that were, and it was so traumatic, obviously, it happened in 1672, but Samuel Butler was writing about it in 1706. Mm -hmm. He described these as some composed of shining horns more precious than 10 unicorns. Mm -hmm. Some were of wax where every vein and every fiber were made plain. Some were for tender virgins fit. Some for the wide flatitious slit. So the the great dildo seizure was such a traumatic event that he was recounting it thirty years later. Yes, and in Monsieur Thing's Origin from seventeen twenty two, the anonymous author gives a brief history of the dildo. After touching on its origins in Italy and France, he describes the ejaculating type of dildo. This is from 1722. Mm -hmm. The engine comes up so very near to nature, can spout so pleasing betwixt wind and water, warm milk or any other liquid softer, slow as they please or, if they please, much faster. One of these girls tied Monsieur to her middle to try if she could the secret unriddle. She acted man being in a merry mood, striving to please her partner as she could. Ejaculating dildos were a thing longer than I actually knew. So you're saying ejaculating dildos are fairly traditional. That is 
indeed what I'm saying. Mm, okay. Uh-huh. Do you see how I, uh, I wove that in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. all about tradition <laughs> this week on the Dirty Talk podcast. It warms the cockles of my heart to think that this nun has packed off to this convent. She's like, well, as long as I got my ejaculating dildo, I'll be okay. And at some point where the fires of her lust doth abate or she was could no longer find any helpful partners or didn't feel the need to uh, you know, have Monsieur tickle her middle, mm-hmm. she then had this very valuable dildo sewn in and hidden into the seat of this chair where it remained undiscovered for a very long time. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people when when one needs to get off, one people will get very find a way. Find a way. Yes. yes, they will. I think it's time for one more tradition around here. Is that the tradition of wrapping it up? That's the traditional jaunty salute. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you learned as much as I did. I definitely got a lot out of tonight's podcast. I learned more about squirting dildos than I ever thought I would. So however you choose to spend (laughs) this holiday coming up, whether it's a day of mourning lamenting the colonization of North America, or you get together with your family, eat way too much food, or you get up super early and decide that you want to bum rush the store as soon as it opens. We hope that you enjoy it and create some of your own traditions or just bask in some of the old traditions that we've talked about. You can smell a pie while fucking yourself with a squirting dildo. It's If that's your tradition, more power to more you. More power to you. No judgment here. We hope you enjoy. Have a great holiday. And Thank you we, so much. And we have yeah. the traditional uh, holiday jaunty sure salute. Yeah, it's ready to go. It's Cotton feeling very ready. festive. Yeah. Fired up, ready to go. We will catch you next week. 